Morning, bud. All right, morning, sir. We are uh, we're fresh from the gym. Oh, fresh is. I don't know if fresh is the word necessarily. Oh, it's the opposite. Oh, we oh are my stank. God. Oh, we stinky. Oh, we were just there zooming. We uh, swung over and got a Jamba Juice extra gravy. Yep. And back here to do a little bit of the old family. We're on a mission. I thought that the going to the gym would make us uh, more focused, but I feel totally unfocused and ready for a show, buddy. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Hey, uh, focus. Do you remember the fuck that? Is that? Do you remember that house? Um, Be a fascist in in uh, Del Rey, the with the the big house that had the stage. I remember that part about yeah. it. I don't remember very much about it. I was really tiny. Yeah, same here. I, I remember the my, the, my, the most memorable thing I remember is every time I went there, I think I came away with a cold. Oh, okay. I and just you... I remember like like maybe went there twice for so, Thanksgiving. I grew up. Uh, well, no, you you were you stayed there a bit when you were young because your parents had that that uh, automobile accident. Oh, was that and the same had, place? Yeah, I think oh, we okay. we sort of took you on for a couple of months while they yeah, recuperated in the hospital or something. Right. Mm-hmm. But but so yeah, so I lived uh, as poor as we were. My my father managed to to um, get us a house in the early nineteen seventies <laughs> that was like it was like Grey Gardens is what it was. It was this decrepit like mansion, mm-hmm. one wing of which had um a stage and an auditorium and a dressing room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And an auditorium. It was hilarious. It was crazy. And because we had no money. We were legitimately poor, but mm-hmm. this house was like just falling apart, basically. It was yeah. just a falling apart mansion and somehow he got us into it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we lived in this town Del Rey, which is near here, Fresno, probably within twenty or twenty five minutes driving, but I have never Never been there in like decades. Uh-huh. Um, and you I go think check it out. I should actually. I think the house is gone now, but mm. but um, it was uh, the early the 19th despair s- lives on. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Let's, let's take let's take a visit. So <laughs> it's nineteen seventy four to seventy five, and and my family lived there, and I think we were the only white family in this town of maybe like three hundred people, mm. and the t- the town had a gas station, it had a diner. It had a like a little sort of um, you know convenience type store, uh-huh. or circa early nineteen seventies, and it had a bank, a Bank of America, and I remember this last part because um, there was a guy. Sorry about that. There was a guy who uh, drove his car through the bank, through the bank wall. And just crash the car, and so you think what? Immediately? Just by way of a cool robbery or something. Well, like is that? it a, little, a robbery? A little Charlie Verrick action, or is it? Um, is it that it's a sort <laughs> of like drunk. vendetta against the you know like the IRS or the banker, the bankers or something like that? No, it's probably an alcoholic just come off the yeah, just just coming off a bender. <laughs> that just that just happened to be the one place his brakes gave out or something. That's none of the above. Actually, mm-hmm. what they discovered was that he had no steering wheel and had been steering the car with a pair of pliers. <laughs> uh, you know, I've seen that in movies and stuff. Yeah. Like it was definitely it was featured for a little while in uh, uh, Fury Road. I remember that. Okay, wow, fine. that's that's a trip. So just ended up going. He went through the wall of a bank. Yeah, and he was like, like a very I don't know. I thought it, fucking bank. Well, I wonder. I wonder how how far he drove that thing, mm-hmm. that Plymouth or whatever, with a pair of pliers, or maybe it was vice grips. But the point is, oh, this is seventy four, right? Okay, so that is a wall taken out vehicle. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's a play. Yeah, yeah. Some, some fins went through the the wall as well. Some fins and headlights. 
Oh, okay. I was like, like Finn's fin, like dudes with like fur, you know, and like parkas with like reindeer, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, coming through the there. Jim did nothing for us. Finland. Nothing for our from mental f- acumen at all. Toms of Finland. A bunch of those guys came through. All I was right. thinking of of you, by the way, when well, I when I remembered the story because I was thinking about. Is it my driving? Yeah. Aww. <laughs> Tell us about some of your driving adventures. I was wow. particularly interested in that little brown car you had in the nineties. Oh yeah, well, that piece of shit. That was uh, yeah. Well, first I've I've never owned a car that was anything other than like uh, completely and utterly a hoopty. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think I've had what four cars or something like that. Have you really? That's a dangerous idea. There's no way that most of the people listening could understand what a dangerous idea it is that you've had one car because I am a fucking terrible driver. Mm-hmm. I am dreadful, and Tom aspires to someday be as good as I am. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a good driver at all. I'm a terrible driver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts. I mean, it's really it, it starts off at uh, at a biological level. I have zero depth perception. I have this weird condition with my eyes where I look at a one or the other. Oh, I thought you just so meant your soul. Continue. Well, that made no sense, but that didn't stop you at all, and I nope. admire that. I drove you like joke. you were a bank, and I was a car, <laughs> and there was no steering wheel. And Absolutely. Yeah, well ahead. done, the metaphor of your grill. Anyways, yeah, uh, yeah I have no death reception, so just like right soul. out of the gate, I'm not. A <laughs> <laughs> in your soul, I just want to end that. In your cunt, okay. Okay, go ahead. Uh, just, no, ah, so, I don't so know how to no... say that a third fucking time. Yeah, that's okay. Say I'm it just I... not going to. I won't say uh, it. So, yeah, right. so you have oh, no... really, that's an amazing concept. Why don't you keep, why don't you follow through with that motherfucker? <laughs> All right. Anyways, so. You have. <laughs> no. Son of a whore. You say no. Depth perception. In your soul. In my soul, yeah. Okay, right. Okay, go ahead. Great. Perfect. Right. So this anyway, so I'm not a good driver. Just fucking biologically, I'm not a good driver. Yeah. And then I'm not a practice driver. That's true. So there is that. So basically, I've had four cars. And uh, but I'm 47 years old, and, yeah. and those cars, none of those cars lasted more than six months, one way or the other. Also, it's not like just to I, give you an idea. And most of the time, I lived in the Bay Area, which is, has pretty good, awesome transit. Sort systems. of, but I was actually going to say that 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 it's not like you lived in San Francisco or New York for like the majority of your life because you grew up in San Jose, which is a place where you want to have a car. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're in Fresno now, so it's interesting. Yeah, but I've worked done most of my working in San Francisco, yeah. and certainly most of my comedy life in San yeah, Francisco. That's fair. And so those are the things really that you know transportation was important for me at the yeah. time. Bloody blah. Now I'm in, now I live in Fresno. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like I'm going to have to invest in a car. But I, I didn't want any point. vague sort of biography of your awful driving, Tom. What I'm looking for is that that horrible brown car you had in the '90s. That, as I recall, you in order to drive it, you had to. Press both the gas and the brake. Oh uh, yeah, same it stalled time. out. It yeah. stalled out uh, <laughs> at every po- at every available opportunity. Yeah, the only way for it not to stall. And I, you know what was really funny is I'm pretty sure like anybody who with any knowledge of a of an engine who's listening to this would just start screaming that there, there's like a, a, like a screwdriver in 30 seconds would probably have fixed this fucking yeah. thing. Yeah. I didn't do any better. Anyways, it would just stall out. Yeah. Anywhere. So in order to maintain uh, the engine being on, you had to. Yeah. I had to to keep pressure on the gas. Yeah. And also on the brake at the same time, particularly if you're at a stop. You know, if you're at a stop, the only way to keep the car from real shutting itself off, yeah, uh, it would be to keep the gas going and just slam down on the brake. So just to review here, Tom has you're saying poor depth perception. You an, an unpracticed driver, mm-hmm. and you had a car where you had to push the gas and the brake at the same time to keep it going. Right, with and, my soul or some fucking. Thing. And then there was just a throw day, it in there, Joe. Oh. There was a day when, like a bank of America. There was a whole line of cars on the freeway, and you, what happened next? 
I, I like how you fucking like try to capture this. I don't think you like it. I can tell already. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So basically, what it was was it was a fog bank on fucking uh, on on the Great Highway. Yep. Uh, and um, yeah, came came up on this one car. Yeah. Had stopped sort of in the middle of nowhere. So bonked the bonked the car in front of me. Yeah. So there was a bunch of cars in front of them. And so there was this whole chain effect. Yeah. And then about four or five people did that to me. Yeah. Backed and you know hit me in the back. Yeah. So this is kind of like the pileups you hear about in the news in a way, but you were you were in the middle of it. I was right in the middle of this fucking thing. Yep. Yeah. So and it was uh, yeah it was quite a quite a treat. Tom has no sense of humor about his horrible driving. I don't say whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's perfect, right there. Yeah. Well, I what? drove. I drove my dad. So you make it funny, motherfucker. Well, Let's not, go. I didn't say funny. I just said you have no uh, sense of humor about your own bad driving. I'm a bad driver. I realize that. I know you get defensive about like my talking about that accident. This has happened before. By talking because about you talk about this accident like I caused it. Dumbass. Yeah. Sure. Well, you did in a way. I mean, not not all of it, but you're part of it, right? Yeah, I'm part of it. Great. Well, that's the first time you've ever said that. This whole fucking time I've known you. Huh. Dumbass. Anyways, go on. Okay. It's just revenge also because Tom doesn't drive, mm-hmm. and but he loves to tell other people how to drive. That's also the other thing about Tom. Backseat driver. Oh, yeah. And he's really irritated. This episode will be only fun for me uh-huh. because Tom is genuinely chafed right now. Uh, don't know what you're talking about. If he had a soul with any depth, it would be <laughs> chafed right now. Oh, is he annoyed? <sighs> So anyway, um, so I drove my dad's truck into a canal bank. Uh-huh. That was my thing. I was I was 14 years old. He's having me drive a bunch of wood around in the back of a truck, and I was singing The Summer of 69 by Brian Adams, mm-hmm. and I drove it right into a fucking canal bank that was full of water, mm-hmm. and the water came up to my knees, uh-huh. and uh, the next thing I knew, I was out of the truck, looking at the truck from the side of the bank. Nice. That was a bad one. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Hmm. Mm. Just got away from you? How old were you? 14. So you shouldn't have been driving the truck in the first fucking place. No, that never would have stopped my father from having me drive the truck, but but mm. I drove it right into the water. Wow. Anyway, so... Um, today You're we're... all wet, buddy. <laughs> How are you, Tom? Fabulous. You know what else? There's no air conditioning in here. There is no air conditioning in this thing, yeah. Yeah. Oh well. What are you gonna do about that? So, anyways, can know. we get to can we actually talk about a fucking movie at some this point is here? Lifeless. You are lifeless today, man. Can we talk about a movie? Okay. All right. Come on. Um. So, <laughs> uh, we're talking about Eve Eve Montand. Am I, am I pronouncing that correctly? It's Eve. Yeah. Eve Montand. Eve Montand. Eve <laughs> Montand. We've got a couple a couple of beautiful French flicks we're gonna be talking about yep. today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking about 1953's The Wages of Fear. The Wages of Fear. Yeah. Tom turned me on to this movie. Uh, it's again, oh, yeah. it's one of those things where someone bugs you about a movie for a while. And I think I've nagged you about this movie for some time. You're kind of resistant for a little while. You did that with Fat City, too. And I was like, okay, I'll get to it. And then uh, you're, you realize why the person's been nagging you for a while. So, uh-huh. Yvonne Tan, 1953, um, Wages of Fear. Wages well, of Fear. So, yeah. I mean, look, the premise is related to, to driving. Bad, dri- bad driving, <laughs> so, I'd say. Well, actually, they're, no, but they're not bad drivers in this movie. They're just drivers. Oh, I disagree. Trying to do a ridiculous thing. Oh, do thing. I fucking disagree oh, if, really? that there are bad drivers in this movie? Oh, it's horrible. Okay, so the premise what is. what I could see. It's a, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. He was just trapped in that accident. So uh, there's, um, it's, a, it's a South American a country. Do we know which one it is? You know what? Uh, we, they never really say the town, but basically, it's this. It's a. It's a poor 
town. It's miserably hot. There's nothing to do. Let's just call it Fresno. Yeah, well, so there are all these expatriates there, right? So we have French ex- expatriates, German expatriates. An American expatriate as yeah. well, right. And, and the entire community is based on a, a, a nearby oil well yep. system. Yep. Run, by, of course, by Americanos. Yep. Los Yankees yep. are running it. Uh, and that's like the entire town is sort of like the, the, the economy is all based on this one thing. Yeah. And these expatriates, of course, they have no they, they have no work. They're all trapped. It's very yeah. It's it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a familiar scene of the expatriates sort of hanging around the bar, or the coffee shop, playing checkers, not knowing what to do. Right, it's somewhere between boredom and alcoholism, and yep. uh, and 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 start and hunger. You yeah. know, it's, it's it's like the beginning of Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, like that that sort of same thing. Yeah. Well, okay, so Eve Montana also, by the way, I I first ran what fuck he's pretty by the way. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty man he's for a sure. Dude. Well, that is surprising because I the first time I ran into him I think was with <laughs> you prick, was eh? in Jean de Flore and Monet of the Springs, right? Uh-huh. And this is like in the mid eighties, and he is a prick, yeah. But he's also just I think I'm 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 saying yeah. alcoholism, right? Yeah, yeah. Something's yeah. up with that face. You got that Richard Burton, like, yeah. Later, later, the, the after picture. So I was surprised to see Oof. how good looking he was. Although he annoys me like a lot of French people do in the 40s and 50s in movies, where he wears like a tank top, but and the, a the scarf, and his little scarf on his neck, but the tank top goes down just about to his nipples, mm-hmm. and he walks around like a goofball. <laughs> in my opinion, my humble American opinion. I think I think it's the for me it's the neckerchief. It's like yeah, it's like Frenchmen and German. Shepherds do yeah. that neckerchief thing. Yeah, eh, the fuck that's about. It's a disaster, right? Oh, and he's also wearing like a coat, like a suit coat, and a tank top with this thing. It's just come on, dude. That that's not that classy. It yeah. just isn't. Uh, what the hell do I know? I don't know. It looks like the same kind of ethic that informs like a Johnny Depp situation. What, meaning what? It started off with as a simple one, like simple single bandana, and then it just accessorized beyond that, and. That's one element of being a well-dressed guy uh, in a slightly effeminate way, I guess. I don't know. It's just no, I didn't like follow that at all. But, but so, it's, so eh. the expatriates are hanging eh. around the South American country. And eh, Lionel. Look, there are parts, Lionel Barrymore, yeah. There are parts of this film that kind of drive me crazy. For Tang Fruit Punch. Lionel Barrymore for Tang Fruit Punch. Tang, Tang, you punk. So there are parts of this movie that I think are amazing, and there are parts of this movie that I don't understand at all. And, uh-huh. and but the, but the 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 parts where I don't understand are sort of so well done anyway. Um, this is a movie. First of all, I should say this: it's very fucking clear that Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino watched this movie. Oh yeah, to me. Right. Yeah, and it's also clear that that so did Sam Peckinpah, for different reasons. There's so many things in this film. Like the parts of this film, mm. at least at the beginning, are extraordinarily boring. For like the first forty minutes, the first forty minutes of this thing. Well, you know, okay, the first forty minutes of this movie are, as you point out, very boring. But I like the fact that if you really want to, if you want to look at it and really parse it, they all play. They they all yep. they all pay off. Yeah. In the second half of the film, well, I think it pays off while it's boring. This is my point about it being Tarantino. Like Tarantino has this sort of long stretches of dialogue that are actually boring, but they become fascinating in their boringness, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Royale sure. with cheese, these big conversations. Right. And to some degree, like the first 40 minutes of Wages of Fear are that sort of level of like boredom, but it's so sort of uniquely done that you're in. Right. It's, it feels like real life, even though it's shot in glorious sort of like um, light faded black and white. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. You know what it, it kind of feels like to me is like um, – 
like the like a, like the director just looked and said, "Oh my God, I have this glorious set, this glorious backdrop." Like they went to South America yeah. and they found this actual town that's actually like this. Macondo, like, yeah. I have this. I have this wonderful <laughs> exactly Macondo. I have this wonderful uh, opportunity to you know paint uh, to to film children in mud puddles yep. and like like a mud puddle in, a, in what's obviously a desert because at noon it rains for 40 minutes every day or something like that. Totally. It's a horrible jungle. It's this thing. You just get to like really just set a camera on a tripod and point it at misery for a while. Yeah. And, and I think it just feels like there's a glorious celebration of that in a you, sense. You sympathize with characters who are not sympathetic at all. At all. But also, not, I mean, some of them, just the minor characters, aren't aren't mean or villainous or dislikable. They're mm-hmm. just sort of boring and like, what are you doing? But somehow... The, even the ones who are mean are mean in a small, stupid way. You, it, in you, a way that's just fighting boredom on their end. This movie draws you in from the beginning. It so, really does. So, and then all Strangely of Strangely compelling. There's two things happening at the beginning. So even Montan has is one of the sort of expats bumming around French expats, and mm-hmm. and there's a cafe, and the cafe owner is sort of like mad at everyone for all um, the time because they're all there doing nothing, <laughs> doing the Starbucks they're writers all... thing, <laughs> and and the, and they're he all being had, boring there. He has this girl who's working for like him. Like he chases him out of the place like three times a like day. Like dogs, right? Yeah. This girl who works there, who cleans up and so forth, who's absolutely in love with Eva Montan's character and, in a sickening way. Uh, in a sickening way and is shockingly beautiful compared uh, to the... Incredible. Compared to the ugliness around her. Mm. <laughs> like she and is, what is she doing She's there? a rose there. So, oh, so there's... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. So, so obviously, Eve Montan sort of like uses her to his sexual ends, but she's just in sexual love ends. with him. Right. Then all of a sudden, there's this other thing where this other character shows up, uh, one of the main characters, and I'm, I'm sort of looking right now um, for his name. It's uh, Charles Vanell, I think his name is. Okay. Is the actor. But he shows up from France. Oh, this is Joe, right? Joe. And it's, it's his, on his last sort of dime to this undisclosed undisclosed location in South America. But here's the thing, I have no fucking idea why he's there. No, no. Well, it, well, I mean, it's sort of hinted at that he's running from something because he's like a small-time crook. Again, very of Tarantino, some kind, probably like, a con man of some kind. To just say we're not going to say. We're only going to say he mm-hmm. he ran to be here and that's the end of that conversation and, and, and it's also sort of it's also implied and I think almost sta- I think it might actually be stated that most of the people there are there for the same reason he is. Which th- there's yeah. a peculiarity of this town which is apparently it's cheap to get to yeah. and hard as fuck to get, <laughs> hard hard to get fucking, out of. Everyone's trapped there. Uh, yeah, everyone, everyone like, the plane fare is like 50 like was 50 dollars yeah. to get there and 300 to leave. Why are we here? Why did I come here? I got to get back to this place I was running from. Right. So everyone's there. So so all of that that's the sort of like the background. And then the first Go ahead. And then there's this weird thing that's like this bromance is like almost sparks yep. up weirdly and immediately between the two of them yeah. because they're whistling a similar tune. There's no idea why that is except it's, yeah. they're both from Paris and they identify on that level. And I'm sure the song is probably from Paris or something like that. And there's a Spaniard there's who no idea why. Montana's roommates with, but but then he's, no, he's not a Spaniard. It's Luigi. I think he's an Italian. Italian because okay. he makes pasta. Yep. He makes pasta. Luigi, by the way, looks almost like exactly like this is Mario where they Brothers, do Mario. He looks Luigi, exactly yeah. like Mario. Yeah. So there's this sort of weird dance off that happens somewhere in there, and it's it's a sort of odd series of events. But you're in for those 40 minutes, and then the the the, the, the crux of the story comes up, which is this. Well, before we get on, it's also established that Joe, like the guy who the the, the that, that actor, that character is a tough guy. Yep. Like he establishes himself as being a tough guy who faces down Luigi during that that 
contest you're talking about. Now right. we move into the central, which is that the oil company. Well, okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna need some help on this too because I don't know if it's if it's another sort of move where we're we're not meant to understand why or not. So so anyway, the 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 head of this oil company enlists drivers mm-hmm. to drive high explosives. Right through rugged terrain, nitroglycerin, nitroglycerin specifically, yeah, to basically to stop a, uh, an oil fire that's right. that's happened like thirty miles away or something, and so if they can set explosions, and this is I, I guess a, a, a tactic of, of uh, firefighters is to sort it's, of like create it's a fire line. legitimate for these kinds of things. Okay, so but the problem is they're they're like um, sort of explosives, volatile explosives, as all explosives are, but right. very volatile explosives, and it's an impossible road, and so it's going to be two trucks. Four men, mm-hmm. um, each getting paid, I think, like $2,000, which will solve everyone's fucking problem. Right, right. Which motivates them. Right, exactly. Okay. And, and it's a one-lane road through the jungle. Yes. And it, it just to describe it as such, they have to drive through this horrible, this one-lane road through the jungle with the, this incredibly uh, sensitive nitroglycerin, which yeah. will blow up if there's a significant amount of jolting. In the car, in the truck, it'll just blow right the hell up. Yeah. They also at one point talk about if they stop too long in the sun and it gets too hot, it will blow up. There's all these yeah. things that are motivating them to get from here to there. It's 300 miles. Yeah. Uh, it's 300 miles? Yeah. It's oh, like, okay. Yeah, it's like 300 miles. Oh. They have to get through to get to the other side, and some parts of it are super treacherous. And yeah. if, you, if you describe it as that, it doesn't sound that exciting. It doesn't sound that interesting. Well, sometimes it isn't. That's the thing I have with there it. There is, is that, yeah. Is, is sometimes the, the, the journey they take is, is, is legitimately tense. Yes. And other times I'm like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Because I'll give you an example. Right. There's a, there's a, a, a portion of road that they have to drive through, the two trucks, and it's it has a certain sort of bumpiness to it. it the corduroy road part, yeah. So, one we get sort of interior <coughs> dialogue or from the cab of one truck anyway, and they decide we'd better go slow over this thing. Mm-hmm. A few miles back, the truck behind them says we better go fast over this thing. Right. So the 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 second truck comes around the corner and like, oh my god, this truck's going slow in front of us, and we're going fast. And it's like, what do we do? What do we do? And it's like, well, here's what you do. Slow down. The truck in front of you isn't blowing up. So it's obviously working. So what's... And meanwhile, by the way, Tom, they're all smoking cigarettes well, yeah. while, while well, they're, they're doing this. They're French. <laughs> Death does not stop one from smoking, my friend. Yeah. So well, so, 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 okay. So the nature of the road is such that no, there's two ways to get across it without yeah. jolting the truck. Yeah. Go, like four miles an hour. Yeah. Or over 40. Apparently, right. the speed gives you that thing. All right, right, right. right. Now, the, the first truck had gone through initially, had tried to go through at 40, but it had to stop at like a midway point where that was kind of safe. Uh-huh. And then from there on out, it was going the slow route. So the second one comes up. Well, because in that transition from 40 to 4, yeah. they probably would have blown up. No, That's but it's the a, implied. they see them a mile away. Literally a, a mile, mile away. It's not, away. it's not that. They don't come up on them suddenly. They see them a long ways away, and it's like, what do we do? Slow down. That's what you do. Well, but but you can't. But at that point, they can't slow down. At that point, the corduroy in the road would make them blow up. That's the problem. That's bu- it just was unbelievable to me, as was um, the- You do have to be able to buy some central conceits in this the, movie, The for sure. mountain journey, where they, they're going around this bend, and there's all of a sudden, like- um, sort of rigged up to make it around a bend for trucks, mm-hmm. this sort of platform that's apparently made of like pallets and super glue. <laughs> like the people and, have been traveling hope. 
People have been wishes. traveling this road for like I don't know how many years, and nobody's thought to put up anything that you couldn't like that you'd have. It's just ridiculous. It's just kind of there are moments where it's completely ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and it's that's where it loses all the tension for me. Oh, see, not for me, no, because the tension holds through on those moments as well. That moment on the pallet, that 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 thing right there. Now, the, the, for some reason, there's something about this movie that the, 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 the tension just compels me the whole way through. Yeah, I, there were tense moments, for sure, mm-hmm. uh, for me. But, you know, what compelled me more than the tension was the, was the cruelty. Yes. And the disregard the for people. So it's like Yvonne Han's disregard for Joe, increasing disregard for Joe, who, who you had this aforementioned bromance with, right? Right, so, and a huge respect for. Well, Joe shows a lot of cowardice all of a sudden as it gets well, more dangerous, and so mm-hmm. Yves is like, for fuck's sake, man, you're supposed to be this guy who I can depend on. It turns out I'm going to have to be in the helm. And there are a couple of scenes. There's one, I don't want to give it away too much, that, that happens in like a bog that's just cruel. Uh, the way they treat each other, oh, yeah. the disregard they have for each other's lives, but not because they are are naturally cruel people, but because the task and the money has driven has them to driven them to this thing. That's the wages, the wages of, of fear, fear yeah, right? Sure. So, so like, so fear has broken Joe, and and at the same time, you know, and and Eve's Montan's character, his disrespect and, and loathing, basically, like it's a near loathing. But it's undercut by yeah. by by his understanding of the concept of fear. At the uh-huh. same time, is that much larger because of the respect he had previously had for Joe? Because he had established Joe as kind of a tough, fearless guy in the first half of the movie. Yeah. And so at this point, it's like it's like in direct proportion to that is how much of a hard time he's giving him in the second part of the movie. And it's it's this crazy adversarial thing. Yeah. It just it just you're right. It just it builds. <laughs> yeah. It becomes really It does at and times. And yeah. by comparison in the other truck, the the other guys are having just a straight bromance. Fear is is pushing them together. Well, one of them also is we're given to understand that he he believes he may have a limited amount of time to live. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it sort of adds to like this, this fourth dynamic between the four of them where one of them has the will to live to get the money, but not the same will to live that the other three do. Right. Right. So, and the, and the one guy also was like a survivor of a concentration camp in Europe, right. and he had he had been you know he basically yeah. he's like what well, you know this fear is he knows he knows the boundaries of fear more than any of these other guys. Yeah. Well, so. and I, and again, I have to go back to as impressive to me as the concept of the story is the way it was uh, executed. Uh, I, I mentioned Peckinpah because it has this sort of crazy camera work where it'll focus on a long shot of somebody coming, and then all of a sudden do this very extreme and quick close up. To something that doesn't seem particularly important to the scene, mm-hmm. and and it sort of throws you off, and then you realize it it threw you off in a really interesting way. Right. So it's like this this director is going for things that we're not used to in films, and I really admired that aspect of it. There were some really nice touches. I still think. Let me ask you this: This is one of my favorite scenes in all of Moviedom. It's just nope. such a such a sweet, just like a lovely detail. And I've heard other people who've seen this movie have said this is very similar things. What did you think of like the rolling the cigarette? Rolling the cigarette. Yeah, I don't remember this. Well, there. Are, so, so we're in Yves Montan's truck, yep. and Joe is rolling a cigarette, uh-huh. and suddenly, it, all the the tobacco just flies off of the paper, and the paper flies oh! off, and we realize. Yeah, well, don't say what it is, but but yeah, that scene, by the way, is amazing. Yeah, well, can we just say it's an, it's an explosion? It's yeah. very ahead of its time because you start seeing scenes like that in like failsafe yeah. about nuclear war or something where it's like. No, don't just focus on a bomb exploding or whatever it is exploding uh. in, the, in the background. Focus on how there'd be no, 
you know, nothing settled, nothing stable in your environment. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I actually love that. That was a perfectly executed scene. Such a beautiful scene. Yeah, I love it. The a director, lot. it's Kudad, I think, is his name. Yeah, uh, I have no idea if I'm saying it well, right. I'm probably butchering the shit. It's out definitely, of it. it's a, it's a, it's definitely. I mean, it has to me. I, I found it more flawed than you did, but it definitely has tension. It definitely is an oh. interesting story. It's a very unique approach, and then. What happens at the end, at the end is I, terrible. I, I agree. I was like, Awful. I was I like, I get it, but okay, so I get it. He's really, they're really pushing the, the wages of fear. So what, what happens when you come out the other side of it? Yeah. The, 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 the euphoria that must, that must make you incredibly careless or something Ridiculous. like that. Ridiculous. Yeah, but it's just, it is, I just, it is I'm upsetting. almost recommending turning off the last five minutes of the film because it is really a, a completely ridiculous What's, ending. Yeah, like, here's what you do. The moment you... <laughs> God, I hate saying this, but... Because I don't want to fuck with somebody's vision of a movie or something like that, but uh, you know what? See it all the way through. But yeah. if you really want to give yourself an enjoyable experience, the moment you see... Uh, it stopped being... D- the, at the end scene, cut it off when there's no fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Before the clean is montoned up at the end. Yeah. Because you're right. There's something about that ending that is just, ah, yeah, that, no uh, good. I don't like it. No good at all. But but everything up to that, oh, so compelling to me. I recommend it. I recommend it. I give it not quite as strong as Tom, but I definitely recommend it. I thank you for recommending that film to me, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of. Huge recommend from the Tom Corner, but let's move on. From the Tom, Tom, the Tom, Tom Corner. Corner. Mm-hmm. Um, Yves Montan, our second film was 1969's Z. Z. Yeah, that's a film, by the way, um, I hadn't heard about in terms of its if, its content or anything. I just, like, trivial note here, remember it's one of the first videotapes I ever saw. Hmm. And uh, it was like $150 when, when videotapes <laughs> were new. <laughs> Back when they were new and yeah. space-age plastics and polymers were so, first used for this. So the first thing we might say about this film is it's 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 sort of billed as a, a Yves Montand film. And he's barely in the damn thing. Well, he's in it. I would he's say in the, a crucial role. The first like 25% and then as a matter of sort of um, flashbacks, he, he appears in different flashbacks a lot. Sure. So, and, But I think he was just the only really notable person aside from Irene Pappas who has a similar similar small role as, yeah. as his wife she I remember her uh, from uh, Guns of Navarone yes oh Guns of Navarone also uh, Zorba the Greek yeah so this is a French film that's set in Greece Bas- Bas- just just to say basically if if it was the 1960s and you needed a woman who was ferociously Greek like obviously Greek yep. you called get get Irene on the horn yes just booms be dialed she sweats olives Irene Irene, pa- uh, Irene potatoes um, so it's uh, I don't have no idea what Spanish. Okay, all right. So so it's it's uh, Greece. It's the 1960s. Although it's it's not like specified. I think this is based on some sort it's of based real on a true story. Story, but it's like in Greece. They don't go further than that, except to say that there are two factions um, in Greece, and that's the far left and the far right. Yeah, essentially, right? Right, correct. And the police and the government are the far right. And Yves Montan is the leader of this um, the opposition of, government. the opposition government. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he so the whole premise is that Yves Montan is being flown in to sort of make this big speech to rally the, the left. Right. Correct. <laughs> right. Correct. Well, you know, it start, it, well, it starts off also, but it, it originally starts off as a rather as, as an incredibly like uh, meh meh you know boring like meeting. Yeah. 
uh, where they're talking, where like a bunch of right wing dudes are talking about policy. But they're talking about agricultural policy, specifically agricultural policy, yep. and then extending every possible painful metaphor they can to talk about the rot, to talk about which the, is the left, right? Yeah, the rot. You know what? I normally would have hated that. For some reason, I kind of liked it. I liked its over the topness because it it wasn't the film being over the top. It was showing. How those in power, uh-huh. how, how clumsy they are with metaphors. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, it is hard to, I think it's really easy to miss, actually. Sorry, I was going to yeah. say hard, but I think it's actually really easy to miss. But I think this is intended to be, a, this movie is a comedy. It's intended to be a black comedy. Okay. I think it's a very French one. Very, I think some of it's very Schindler's List little past. Uh, yeah, I think it is. It's, a, it's intended to be a black comedy. Okay, well, Talk about that more as, as we go along. Is that, sure. Well, there's is just, there something you can hang that on? Or? Yeah, there are just like odd little things that are like obviously jokes, but in a but but in a sense that well, it's it, a, it has satirical moments certainly. Well, it's definitely a satire for yeah. sure, and yeah. I think it's intended in a, in a sense to be a black comedy. I'd be, uh, I I wonder if if it's sort of like a, like a cultural and or time and space sort of a thing. I don't know, but yeah. anyway, so so essentially, um, there's. Yvonne Tan's character as a leader of the opposition left comes in to give this sort of speech mm-hmm. um, and they're denied permits everywhere, number one, right. um, in the city, which obviously is the work of the city government. Um, there's a rumor that his group gets that he's going to be hurt or there's an assassination attempt or right. something like that, but he soldiers through. Well, yeah, right, because this threat happens all the time. And one of the things that's really, which is kind of interesting, is that it's it's taken, the right is in control and they're in power. Yep. And they're shown heaving to the law. Okay. All of these things, they are blocking the rally. They are they are causing these things, but they're doing it in a way that's that's alibied. Yeah, in a legal sense. Yeah, so it's 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 definitely a like a thin fiction. Yeah. that they're pulling over, but it's definitely happening. Yeah, so so, so yeah, so, no, I agree with that. I agree with everything you just said. Sorry. So we get to the rally. We get to the rally, and so they've set up some sort of situation where he can speak in front of a few hundred people, and there'd be loudspeakers out on the street. And as he's walking through to give his speech, he's attacked initially and sort of shaken up by the attack, but but soldiers on and gives the speech. Right. Yeah, he gives a big clock to the back of the head. Right. And and so then he comes. He gives a speech, rallies the left, comes out again, mm-hmm. and one of his his deputies is clobbered. Like right, hospitalized, clobbered. Yeah, and then um, he is hit on the head. Yeah, but by by um, it's a, a three wheeler, I guess it's it's like a, nearly a motorcycle, but it's yep. like a truck on three wheels. Right, uh, with a guy in the back who apparently is fucking Spider Man and can pull this off. Yeah, because the, the the they drive the truck through. It's, there's a like an almost riot situation going on, but the mm-hmm. crowds are being held back by the police, uh-huh. and this thing just zips right past him. And the guy just clocks him squarely on the back of the head with a, with a rubber trunk club, right? Uh, and um, and and thus, you know, putting him in the hospital. And so, so he's in the hospital. His deputy's in the hospital. His deputy, it, it turns out that who was initially clobbered. Sorry, I can't speak today. Um, was um, recovering. Irene Pappas comes in as the wife to sort of. She's been notified. Right. We get all these sort of flashbacks, and we understand that that was not a good marriage. That he'd been there'd been some yeah, infidelity. He'd been, yeah, he'd been sleeping around for sure. And she's all these sort of flashbacks about how she feels, and, and all of a sudden, for just a moment, it doesn't turn this way. But for a few minutes, it turns into this really interesting um, study of what a marriage is, right? Under, under those circumstances, mm-hmm, sure. Um, and so then his character dies. So he's essentially been assassinated. 
Yes, was, yeah. By a club. More, more, more or less accidentally. By the way, I got to say that the uh, the guy who the guy who swung the club yeah. looked a lot like William Shatner to me at first. Mm. I thought that's who it was at first. Mm, I'm going to swing this club. And you take that. So, so then the film turns into something else. It's it turns into really um, a, a police procedural. A police procedural about the different points of view. For, well, first of all, the government it's, wants to go with the idea that that it was a drunk driver who ran him over. So this is merely an accident. Right, because of course you know otherwise, and at the same time. Time, they're 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 immediately on the defensive because the left are a bunch of crybabies who are obviously going to try to make hay using this blah blah going on and then we yeah. we slide into it. and I got to say this movie owes a little bit to Rashomon in the sense that it's talking mm-hmm. about it's talking about you know the perception you know the perception uh, of, of what's going on you see the same scene acted out in some different percept uh, per, different perceptions. Not as people necessarily had perceived them, but as they're testifying. Well, to see, it. I think that's that might be a difference. I mean, I could see where Tarantino gets something from this film as well as The Witches of Fear oh, in yeah. terms of the, the sort of multiple perspectives. But, but you know, perhaps Tarantino's pulling more from Rashomon than this is because these are just people lying. Yeah, well, yeah, it's exactly. not different perspectives. Mm-hmm. The government is lying about it. They want to pass it off as a drunk driver, right? And yeah, and and the doctors, the who performed the autopsy, the coroner, and we're not talking about Quincy. Well, who would say immediately, Sam, Sam, get in here, Sam. Yeah, it was Sam. No, so, with no Quincy on no this one, like but uh, but nevertheless, an ethical uh, doctor yeah. points out that this was not actually uh, this was this uh, amounts to a homicide. Yes, you know, like, the, like it's not a drunk driving thing. This was a club. So so the real sort of main character here is not Yves Montan. It's this, this guy comes in as the the sort of the prosecutor, right? The now, ethical prosecutor. Now he's the now here's the thing. He's utterly ethical. Yeah, and he's utterly a product of the right. Mm-hmm. He is immediately on their side. Yes. Except the, except everybody on the right yeah. is the, the ones trying to pull the wool over the thing are doing just sloppy enough of a job yeah. to push him, to keep to compel him, yes. the ethical person, they've memorized, forward into this They've thing. memorized the same awful, unusable, clumsy phrases as their testimony. <laughs> and he keeps raising his up like, why would anyone memorize... Like essentially Shakespearean but, lines. But that's why I their... think it's meant to be a comedy because I found some of that hilarious. Some of it was. I, I mean, it, there were funny moments. I mean, certainly w- when when um, he decides to prosecute the the government officials mm-hmm. and they're leaving the room and they each the try same to leave, fucking like, door. They try to get, leave at the same door, but none of them can. So they let out. It's it's very kind of Woody Allen's bananas. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, bananas in that sense. So yeah, I think there are funny moments. I definitely wouldn't call it. I can't still see it as a dark comedy, but it's satirical and it has moments. Where in order to ease the tension, the director um, very right. wisely chose to, mm-hmm. to make um, humorous choices. That door, man, that, that one I yeah. keep coming. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's not at all funny until it becomes until the sixth person does yeah. it, and then suddenly you're like, oh, fuck, that's really yeah. Fun. I like this movie a lot. I did too. I really liked it, and it has this thing too. And I've never seen it. I, you know what I want to do is this, and this is just lazy on my part. I suppose I've taken one class on film. Yeah, I should take one that specializes in French filmmaking or something like that. Just so that I can make this statement, but I'm going to say it. I've only seen this in French movies, which is the 
almost documentarian, like just the, yeah. coming in with like just a bunch of detail. Yeah. It's like an anomaly. It starts off that way. Oh, you know, I see it what gives you mean. This whole like biographical thing. This is the background of what, of this man's life. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And this yeah. movie ends on that kind of a thing. It does. It's in an interesting way. Not that we want to give away exactly what the content is, but yeah, it sort of catches you up to, to, right. Well, it, I it gets so that... far into the explanation, uh, yeah. into the investigation. We yeah. know what's going to happen. It's very obvious. And then it cuts to a news report telling you what had happened uh, to all these characters right. in, the, in the future individually yes yeah and that way French films and also Animal House correct also does that tells you what Bluto did later on and so forth yeah but they don't have Flounder. a voiceover doing it they should they should have maybe that would have been a nice touch uh, yeah it would have been do you remember the first time you saw Animal House um yeah, it was one of the first things we ever got on HBO at my dad's. Oh, I held with laughter at that movie. Oh, Remember yeah. the kid is is on his bed praying to God for a woman, thank and then the float crashes, <laughs> and a woman comes to the window and goes, thank you, God. Oh, Animal House. You because it was point. four in the afternoon, and the kid should have been going to bed at that fucking point, like any of this movie. Oh, uh, yeah, or the, the guy jumps in and, and um, sort of pushes the majorette aside and, and leads the band oh, into yeah. an, an alley, Dang. and for some reason they follow him into a brick wall. Uh, uh, yes, and then uh, that is that is one of my favorite visual jokes in in, in all of movie making. Though. The the brick wall. Well, it's just the brick wall, but it's everybody keeps crunching in, and all the uh, the, yeah. the musical instruments start you know crushing together. <coughs> Become very funny to me. And, and we are talking <laughs> about <laughs> we are by the way talking me. about a movie called Z. <laughs> just uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about Animal House for a second. Uh, and well, you ought. We sir. Will, we'll do something with this episode. It's been but, so, so terrible so far. What are you talking it's about? My least favorite episode we've ever done. Oh, why? Why you? You almost made me cry. Honey. Oh, you were really mad at the beginning of this episode. I just didn't know where to go with any. You were of just that. mad. Congratulations. Tom's mad. You're right about something. Oh, Jim. <laughs> was that it? Was that that you were well, so mad because I was right about out, something? I, I'm assuming that would that's your motivation there. Has but... to be right about it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Just assume when I'm talking, I'm right, Tom. Well. So oh, no, always looking for the subtext with you, kid. But anyways, Z. <laughs> Z is a, I love Z. Yeah. Great movie. More than I love Wages of Fear, but I liked Wages of Fear a lot. Okay. And I'm okay. very happy that you showed it to me. And I, I think everyone out here should watch both of those. I think I think Wages of Fear is, is technically a better movie than Z. Uh-huh. But Z is more accessible in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, and it's still uh, it's a little bit of work to watch Z as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a French movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, do we have any business, Tom? Uh, we do. Let's go check us uh, come check us out on Finley's on Film yep. uh, dot com. Also, uh, we are at a Patreon. Uh, come check us out there, and please join us on um, iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a little review, or make a comment of some kind. Also, we've got Facebook. You can leave comments on there. I'd like to get that community sort of more active. That'd be great. You wouldn't know it by how sad Tom was for the first 10 minutes of this episode, but Tom is a comedian. So, Tom, where would people go to find out where you're a comedian? Well, you can go check it out at tomsmithcomedy.com yep. uh, is where you can do that. And you have a monthly poetry reading in Fresno. Oh, it's actually a lit event in Fresno called the Remix Readings. And so you can go to remixreadings.com to check out our calendar. Nice. Tom, it's been a pleasure. It certainly has, you rotten bastard. This episode's been like a, a ride down the highway in the fog. It's like one of those say. things where they start pulling your teeth before the anesthetic has kicked in, but by the end, the anesthetic is fully there and it's fun. <laughs>